Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asar, so this is this good king that's had so much victory and so much peace. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go in or out or to come in to Asa, king of Judah. All right, so he, he built up fortifications so that he would be in charge and control who could go in and out of Judah. So this is Baasha, king of Israel, against the king of Judah. Then Asa, now notice his response to this, then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, and there, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king, to king Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. And then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, of which Baasha had been building. And with them, he built Geba and Mitzvah. All right, so he removed ability to continue. Now, now sometimes when something is stopped, it, it's not enough that it's stopped. You need to remove the ability to restart. Okay? That's just a little piece of wisdom there. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of, Assyria, the army of, the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Remember, they had 800,000. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Whoa. So rely on, rely on. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Wow. This is the reason God is watching us. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Why? You did not rely on the Lord your God. Now, beloved, for all that Asa did, he relied on God. And now, after 36 years of king, and he has great wealth and he's had great peace, when a problem comes up, he did not seek God and he did not rely on God. He did not seek and he did not rely on God. So here's King Asa. As long as he was young, and really kind of weak and really couldn't do things on his own. He trusted God. When he got older and he got a bunch of money together and he had wealth, now he wants to do things the world's way and hire himself an army. And he didn't rely on God. 
Now, beloved, he said, from now on, you'll have wars. He said, you know, you didn't have wars because you relied on me. Now, because you don't rely on me, now you're going to have problems. Now, beloved, too often when you and I are young and a little insecure and we don't know what to do and we don't have anything, we really rely on God. But sometimes as you get older, you begin to rely upon the things of this world. And beloved, you can't rely upon the things of this world. You must always learn to rely on God. Verse 10, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. <laughs> so, <laughs> talk about the old saying, don't kill the messenger. Well, <laughs> he's mad at the prophet, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. All right, so Asa is the guy that messed up, but he takes it out on everybody else. Now, now, here's a leadership thing that you have to understand. You know, sometimes when you've done something wrong, you, you face what you did that was wrong, and you face the consequences, but you don't kill the messenger, and you don't lose it with everybody else. The Acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became very severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. He had forgotten God in his life. And sometimes I wonder if he thought he was going to punish God. Well, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to seek you. I've watched Christians do this. God didn't do something that they liked. And so from now on, they're going to punish God. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him on a bear that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by a perfumer's art. And they made a great fire in his honor. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. Now again, this is Judah. Jehoshaphat is now the king of Judah. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa his father had captured. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David and he did not seek the Baal. So the Lord was with Jehoshaphat for two reasons. Number one, he walked in the earlier ways of his father, King David, and he did not seek the Baals but sought the Lord, the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, not according to the practices of Israel. Okay? He acted like a king of Judah. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. All right, this is therefore. Okay, established because of these things. Made permanent, given a permanence. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Now, I like that. that. That's something I want to go and study. I want to study this. All right, this, this is something I want to study. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Young men and young women, is your heart courageous in the ways of the Lord? What just, I mean, what a thought. Just a, 
That's something to sit down and meditate on all day. What does it mean that my heart can be courageous in the ways of the Lord? And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. And notice, they have to keep taking all these things out because people keep putting them back. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them the Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Ashiel, Shimamoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobadonijah. And with these the Levites were the priests, Elishama and Joram. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law with them. And they went through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. <laughs> they taught the word. They taught the word of God to the people. They didn't just let people come up to Jerusalem three times a year at the feast. They went out with the law of God to the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Why? He put God first. Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver for a tribute. And the Arabians also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. Progress. Not instant, but there's progress. He built in Judah fortresses and store cities, and he had large supply cities in the cities of Judah. He had soldiers, mighty men of valor in Jerusalem. This was the muster of them by father's house of Judah, the commanders of thousands, Adna, the commander with 300,000 mighty men of valor, and next to him, Jehanahan, the commander with 280,000, and next to him, Amasiah, the son of Zikri, a volunteer for the service of the Lord, with 200,000 mighty men of valor, a Benjamin, Eladah, a mighty man of valor, with 200,000 men armed with bow and shield, and next to him, Jehozabat, with 180,000 armed for war. These were in the service of the king, besides those the king had placed in the fortified cities throughout Judah. So you've got 280, you've got 480, 680, 780, 860. You've got an, a standing army of 860,000 men plus all the men that were put in the fortified cities. This was a very powerful man. So when you see progress, you understand there was progress. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go up with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are. My people are as your people. We will be with you in war. So he's, he's trying to have a peaceful relationship with Israel that has fought them now for generations. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. 
Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go up to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Of the Lord? There's a lot of prophets, but not necessarily of the Lord. Okay. These were not of the Lord. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Notice, inquire of the Lord. Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes. And they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Now these are not of the Lord. And Zedekiah, son of Shaniah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, I will speak. Now, this is a true prophet. What my Lord says, what God says, I will speak. And when it came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph, and it will be given into your hand. And the king said, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said, by what means? He said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, now therefore behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber and hide yourself. Now let me just park right here for a minute. One of the ways that you see people destroyed is a lying spirit that gets into the mouth of people who, are, of people who don't have a walk with God. 
Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, said, When did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to you? He said, You shall see on the day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. I spoke with a young man one time, and he, he said God had told him this and God had told him that. And I said, Young man, with all due respect, you have not been living right. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. Your heart has been corrupted. And you want me to believe that God has spoken to you? Now, what, what happens with a young person like that is a lying spirit gets into them. And that lying spirit deceives everybody around them. And the people around them are destroyed. They're destroyed by the lying spirit in the mouth of that bad prophet. That prophet who has no walk with God. Zedekiah, no walk with God. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said to him, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat went up with the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Now here's my question. Why? Why did the king of Judah go up to battle? Why did he go? He knew this was not of God. Why did he go? He went because of relationship. Now this is one of those people that, you know what, when friends change, change friends. When he saw that this was not God, the king of Judah should have left. He just should have packed up and left. You know what, I'm out of here. This is not God, I'm out of here. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go to battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So, all right. So the king of Judah bore all the risk because the other guy is disguised. Nobody's going to be focused on trying to kill him. So this is why I tell people, when somebody wants you to bear all the risk, you don't want to be a part of that partnership. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. As soon as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. This is what you call mercy. And God drew them away from him. Now this is the mercy of God. He was there in disobedience to God. But God was merciful. For as soon as the captains of the chariots saw it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot facing the Assyrians, 
until evening. Then at sunset, he died. Now, brothers and sisters, here is a tremendous illustration of someone who put friendship and relationship before the will of God. And it's also a tremendous illustration that even when we are foolish like this, God in his mercy will help us. But there will be consequences, as you'll see in the readings tomorrow. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. The lame man sat outside the gate, begging arms of those that entered in. Now Peter and John, they came upon him, the lame man expecting from them. Now Peter said, silver and gold, have I not, but such a hair I give unto thee. Right then the spirit touched the man. and sin, I had no hope or peace of mind. Though my sins were red as scarlet, he made me wash the snow, and he opened my blinded eyes. Now my soul will rejoice, since he made me his choice. I got joy, peace, everything that's within. You see, my name's been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can't you see what God has done for me?
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, Paul was not a super spiritual guy. He was a down-to-earth real guy, and you begin to see this coming out in the theology presented. Paul said, for I consider, this is how Paul thinks, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, so all right, right now in the now, there are sufferings. But in the future, there's going to be glory. When you walk the streets of glory, when you walk the streets of glory, when you walk the streets of heaven, when you see the glory that is God, folks, nothing that you go through in this life is worth comparing now, the, these sufferings here, th this is not sickness, disease, poverty, pain, failure. What, what this is, is persecution. Paul recognized that in all of our lives, persecution comes, and it, it really is suffering. He said, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, this is what we would call the second coming. Creation, this is the volcanoes, the seas, the, the fields, the birds, the lions, the wildlife, the insects, the bacteria, the viruses. All creation waits with eager longing. So creation has desires. Ha <laughs> ha! You need to think about that. Creation has desires. Eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the second coming when Jesus sets up his millennial reign and the earth is restored to the Garden of Eden type situation. For creation was subject to futility. Okay? Futileness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now notice, the children of God, we will no longer be corruptible. Paul said we put on this, that which is corruptible puts on incorruption. So he said, in the same way, all creation wants to be set free from its bondage to decay. So decay is a bondage. When you watch a tree die, that's bondage. When you watch the leaves of the field shrivel up and die, that's bondage. See, when you watch a fish grow old and die, that's bondage. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The same that we have in our glorified state, creation will have. For we know that the whole creation, not a piece of it, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation groans. Now, what are those groans? Some people say it's the weather patterns. Some people say it's volcanoes. I don't know. But we know that all creation groans together. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we are already adopted in one sense as God's sons. But there is a full adoption that takes place at the redemption of our bodies. This is the glorified body. This is the rapture. We groan inwardly, every one of us. This, young people, right now, you don't understand getting old. But, you know, getting old really sucks. You know, it is a bondage to decay. Your hair falls out. Your eyebrows. You know, I used to have eyebrows that went all the way down to here. I looked at a picture of myself when I was young. Grabe tell a guy these big, thick eyebrows that came down to here. And then I remembered when I was in high school, I used to shave in between because I looked like a caveman. My eyebrows were so thick. You say, Pastor, that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bondage of decay. Everything in creation, including your body, is looking forward to the rapture. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Ho hope is always the confident expectation of future good. It's not a reality yet. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How do we wait for the return of the Lord? With patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So, all right, we make the noise. Holy Spirit makes the verbal, the verbalization. This is what we call praying in the Holy Ghost. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you are praying the perfect will of God. Now, your mind is unfruitful, as Paul says, but you are praying the perfect will of God. This is why Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. We need to pray in the Holy Ghost every day. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the promise. So even in the middle of this chaos called COVID-19, God is going to cause all things. You lost your job, God will make that work for your good. Now you need to think about that. Everything that happens to you will work together for good. The Greek word there means for your benefit. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now notice, there's foreknowledge and then there's predestination. Foreknowledge comes before predestination. Now there's a false doctrine that says the only people that are saved are the people that God chose to be saved. No, predestination is based on God's foreknowledge. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So, all right, notice we start with foreknowledge. Then we go to predestination. Then we go to calling. Then we go to justification. And then we go to glorification. But it all starts back here with foreknowledge. God knows from the beginning those who will follow the call for salvation. So, 
predestination is not the beginning of this. Foreknowledge is the beginning of this. I call this the salvation chain. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I like that. Wow. If God is going to cause all things to work together for my good, if I have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, if God is for us, who can be against us? Folks, you just have to understand. We win. You need to get a revelation of that. Who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Why doubt God's desire to prosper you? Now forgive me, but right now in the middle of this COVID thing, why would you doubt that? Why would you die? If God gave his own son for you to die on a cross to take the punishment of your sins, why would you doubt that he will not also along with him, you don't get the blessings of God without Jesus, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who can bring any charge? God has justified you, remember, just as if you've never sinned. Who is to condemn? Now notice we have a series of who's here, and this is important. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So I say Jesus' present work. What is he doing right now? He's interceding for you. Then he comes in again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? Sword? No. As it written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So all right. You're more than a conqueror through tribulation. You're more than a conqueror through distress. You're more than a conqueror through persecution. You're more than a conqueror through famine. You're more than a conqueror through financial hardship. That's nakedness. More than a conqueror through danger. More than a conqueror through sword or war. You're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. <laughs> For I am sure neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. Do you got that? Nothing can separate you from God. You just need to get a revelation of that. Now, you can turn your back and walk away from God, but nothing can take you away from God. Nothing can snatch you from His hand because He loves you. A little bit of wisdom to close out with today. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. 
the path of the righteous, I love that, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. I like that. Our guidance unfolds. You know, this morning we've watched it get light outside again. Cloudy days, it doesn't get quite as light and we miss the sun, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Have you ever noticed that once dawn begins, it doesn't stop? It's just this force that comes forth and nothing holds back the dawn in the same way. That's your guidance in life. Once it begins, it will continue to unfold. All right. Once it begins, it will continue to unfold and shines brighter and brighter until the full day. God's guidance for your life will continue to unfold until you see clearly everything that God wants from you. The way of the wicked, another way, remember this is what motivates them. Remember the way of the wicked, the motives, the motivations of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Wow. So they will stumble. And they don't even know what they fell over. That's the way of the wicked. Now, this is why I tell you, don't fight with people that fight you. Don't fight. Why? Because they're going to stumble over their own ways. They always do. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter. So sometimes you just sit back and let everything unfold. This is what God says is going to happen. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. All right, this is God's words. God's words are life and God's words are healing. Now, some of you this morning, you're sick in your body and we've already prayed for your healing. But you know what? The word of God is healing to all their flesh. Now, it doesn't do any good to take your big Bible and lay it on you and say, oh, let healing flow. That doesn't work. What works is you sit down and read it. You're sick in your body today. Spend time reading. When I'm sick and my body is struggling with things, I just sit down and start reading the Gospels over and over again. Just reading the miracles of Jesus. Just reading this about this wonderful Savior. He's the living word. So I'm reading the word about the living word. And healing comes to our flesh. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.